My name is Lenora and I'm an alcoholic. Um, I began my journey in the 60s. Uh, I was uh, one of the, uh, um, I, I was a teenager in the 60s, so I got caught up in the flower child uh, era. And uh, um, I, I don't know how to ask this, but I know this is an AA meeting and I'd like to take a group uh, consensus to let me tell my whole story. But, yes? Okay. All right. So, um, well, the, the 60s was about LSD and marijuana and, and drinking and, and um, mescaline and peyote and mushrooms and, you know, it all looked good to me. It was organic, you know? I was all about being organic. <laughs> I wasn't going to do any of the establishment drugs, you know. So, um, so I got, you know, and it was, uh, I was part of something. My, when I grew up on the, and as a child, I, um, my dad was, uh, so enamored with his sons, you know, that I wanted to be his, his best son because he wasn't really interested in his daughter. So, you know, I wanted to, run faster, jump higher, shoot straighter, you know, whatever, you know, whatever it took to get his attention. And uh, um, so I was, uh, Annie Oakley was like my hero lady, you know. <laughs> and so uh, that was that was my introduction into, into the world. I, I wasn't old enough to drop out of anything. I hadn't gotten any into anything to drop out of, but I tuned on, turned on, tuned in, and dropped out with all the flower children and decided, you know, we were going to do things organically. Well, the flower child era came and went, and the, and the biggest change that happened was whole wheat bread was in the grocery store now, you know, so that was kind of like, fell off the, fell off the edge of the map. But for me, my uh, career had started as, a, as an addict, alcoholic, and uh, I went from there into the casinos, which was, a, um, you know, another big party that I could be a part of. And, and uh, then I added, you know, some uh, other drugs to my repertoire. You know, I was uh, dealing blackjack and cocaine. And... Uh, and in Nevada, <laughs> they never turn the lights on. <laughs> so um, I did that for a number of years. So uh, maybe 12 years had gone by, and I had not gotten up any day, you know, without drawing a breath of something other than oxygen. So, um, but it got, you know, 12 years of, of drugs and alcohol, it kind of got a little crazy and hectic, and I needed to get back to nature, you know. So um, they were growing some sensomia up in Northern California, so I moved up to the woods to do that. <laughs> and I moved up there with a um, with a really, really fine gentleman, uh, straight off the boat from Vietnam, and wanted to hide out in the woods and make sure that, you know, when the when the bottom dropped out of civilization, we were going to be ready, you know, so I had my mini-14 on my back and my my uh, police special and my holster, and, you know, we were at a, at, had a um, um, crossbow, 
I mean, we were we were ready for the fall, and uh, so um, it it doesn't, you know, it seems like we were so sane, and uh, I was. This is what it, this is what it looked like to me. I was growing marijuana in Trinity Alps. I had a golden retriever chasing butterflies through the marijuana field, and you know, a flower child's dream. But over here in the corner is like, you know, stockpiles of guns and ammunition, you know, where did I go wrong? How did I get so far off track? But uh, um, then the garden got busted and we ran out of the woods and I became a bartender. <laughs> so, and you know, we, I was like the rock and roll bartender. We were, had, you know, live bands and, you know, more parties, lots of fun. And, uh, um, I went from there, uh, someone came in one time, uh, some guys from the union, uh, um, the carpenters union, and they told me that I could make more money as a carpenter than I could as a bartender. So I picked up all my stuff and, and went off to uh, the, the carpenters union, and I joined the carpenters union. I became an apprentice carpenter, and oh my gosh, those carpenters, they really know how to drink, you know? We were sitting on the, after work, sitting on the curb by the door that said, coldest beer in town, and we were like, oh, so dirty, grubby, but, you know, sitting there drinking that we couldn't walk and get in our car and drive home, you know? And all of this seemed normal. It seemed okay. I was functioning, you know, I had good credit, I had a job, I had... You know, I, I all my relationships were a shambles, but you know, I was paying my bills, and uh, I began to realize, you know, somewhere along the line, I had lost uh, anyone in my life who wasn't doing drugs and alcohol, and that meant my parents, my children, any any other relationship. Somebody else had raised my children during this time. And uh, um, I had let all that go by, and that you know I and I found myself really after a while alone in an airstream trailer on a uh, part near a construction site with nothing but the things that I was putting in my face, and I was putting something in my nose and something in my mouth and something you know, and it was just it was constant. I, and I didn't know how to stop, and it wasn't fun. It wasn't fun at all anymore, and uh, I was miserable. I hated my life. I didn't know where I had gone so off track, and uh, I walked over to, well, not exactly that easy. I was taking my last class as an apprentice carpenter, and I had to go stay in a hotel room while I was taking welding. And I, um, every morning, I, after the welding class, I'd open up my uh, six-pack on ice, of course, and uh, uh, I'd drink until I passed out in the hotel room. Well, three nights in a row, this loud advertisement came on, and it says, I don't even know you anymore. <laughs> And it woke me up because I fell asleep with the TV on, and it was an advertisement for a rehab center. 
And after the third night, I walked outside and I put my hands in the air and I go, I get it, you know, <laughs> I get it. So I, at three o'clock in the morning, I called the number and I, because I was the one, I didn't know me anymore. I didn't know, you know, that, that sweet young flower child with a head full of ideals was gone. And, uh, my children were gone, my parents were gone, all the relationships that I had were, were crazy and, and full of chaos. So I went to that rehab hospital and uh, um, I had no idea there was anything, I mean I'd heard of AA but I didn't know that that hospital was going to have something to do with AA. And after three days in the, you know, junk uh, tank, they uh, said, would you like to go to a meeting? And I was like, oh, anything to get out of here, you know. So I went to the meeting, and there was a bunch of people sitting around the table. And the, the first guy says, my name's Brian, and I'm an alcoholic. And I was like, oh, my gosh, how could you say such a thing, you know. I'm so embarrassed for you. <laughs> But as each person spoke, going around that table, I, be, I was listening to what they were saying. And, oh my gosh, they were telling my story. And by the time I got around to ten people at the table, I was the last one to speak. And I said, my name is Lenora, and I'm an alcoholic. You know, it dawned on me. You know, this is, this is, this is who I am. This is... Because in those days, I, you know, I was still, um, I wasn't really convinced that I was an alcoholic as much as I was like, you know, uh, a coke addict. Because that had a little more status to it, I thought. <laughs> but that was where my head was at. You know, I thought there was some difference or something. But um, uh, I, I had walked to that um, rehab hospital. And on the way, they told me, don't try to get sober before you get here, because if you could do that, you wouldn't be calling us. So on the way to the rehab hospital, I made a stop at the pizza parlor and, and had a few beers there. <laughs> so um, I knew that, you know, everything else had gone out the window, and, and uh, alcohol was definitely my drug of choice. And... Um, um, I did the first five steps in that rehab hospital, and it changed everything for me. I saw how powerful the, the 12 steps that Alcoholics Anonymous were, and uh, then I left that hospital, and uh, I was sober. I was sober for 13 years, and uh, I was convinced that the 12 steps had saved me, but I didn't go to meetings, I didn't get a sponsor, I didn't read the big books. I just moved on to the farm, started growing organic vegetables and flowers and, and uh, uh, you know, making my own herbal medicine. You know, I switched from this medicine to this medicine. Now I was doing peppermint and chamomile and, you know, all the good stuff. And uh, I stayed sober for 13 years just, you know, out there on the farm. And when people asked me what I was raising on my farm, I told them organic grandchildren. And... I was lucky enough that my grandchildren never saw me uh, drunk, stoned. I mean, I am so grateful for that. But my relationship with my husband, um, we were white-knuckling it through 
because uh, after about 10 years of being sober without a program, my I thought my husband was going to have a heart attack. You know, he was so tightly wound. And even though I had graduated from college, soon would come loudy and, and gotten my teaching credential and I had a, a Bachelor of Science in Natural Healing and I, I had educated myself in, those, in that time. And, but my best idea when I needed to solve a problem, let's get a Budweiser. <laughs> let's get, and my brother showed up with some Sensamia and so we decided that a Bud and a Bud was the best way to solve our problems. <laughs> And uh, three years later, we were divorced. <laughs> so if you don't think it can get any worse, just that alcohol and Sensamia. Um, <laughs> but uh, what happened was, um, after three years, I decided uh, that drinking was not helping. <laughs> no, three years. It only took three years that time. And... Uh, I went back to Alcoholics Anonymous. I walked into the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous in uh, Chowchilla, California, and this young lady, and uh, this this lady sitting here looks just like the lady that was sitting at that uh, secretary in that meeting, and she said to me, you know, keep coming back. We got a cake for you at, at the end of this month uh, for your 30-day birthday. And I love that lady. You know, she had, that, those were the kindest, most, most, uh, awesome words that had been said to me in a long time. And, uh, so I did. I came back and I got that, that, uh, that cake. And, uh, and I started getting some time. And there was, there was people in the program would say things that just would, you know, blow me away. There was a, a cowboy in there, an old cowboy, and he was a roper. And he had uh, uh, roped so long, drunk, that he had roped off his thumbs. You know, he wrapped him in a saddle horn and popped off his thumbs. He had no thumbs. But he was sober, and he had, he had quite a number of years. And his, his, one of his things was he loved to hang around in AA and, and see the newcomers come in and, and then think that they have to go out and do some more research. And... And he says, and I love to see him come back with their asphalt arrows because it tells me that it's not getting any better out there. <laughs> and I thought he was awesome. I thought he was great. And as I as I hung around AA and, and uh, I started going to the Madeira meeting, and there was a lot of ladies there at that meeting, and they began to tell me other things. You know, I, I got a sponsor. I started reading the big book. And... Uh, Oh my gosh, you know, there was so much wisdom in the big book. I, I feel like this, uh, this guy says, you know, why didn't I, why didn't I read that in 1989, you know, instead of waiting 13 years later? But I, you get sober when you get sober, you get ready when you get ready, and, and you do, you know, when it's time, you, you take care of business. And so I, these ladies started telling me things like, uh, you have the right to have people in your life who treat you with love and respect. And uh, that was a new concept to me. I do. <laughs> I thought I had to just deal with the assholes who are out there, you know. <laughs> but I, I get to choose who's in my life. 
I don't have to have, I don't have to be in a relationship with people who are unloving and disrespectful. I get to be, be in relationships with people who are loving and respectful. I get to choose that. And that one thing made a huge difference in my life. And then somebody else said, kickstart your day with an attitude of gratitude. And so I thought, you know, I've been, I've been worried, trying to worry my life together for a long time now. Maybe tomorrow I'm just going to take the day off and be grateful the whole day. So I decided, okay, tomorrow's my day just to be grateful the whole day. And, oh my gosh, that worked out so good for me. <laughs> the whole day was great. And so I thought, I'll, I'll try it again tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, that's been my, that's been my, my, um, my way of, of being. And that started a whole new way of being for me is to be in gratitude. Um, when uh, people started saying, you know, what is God's will for me? And I would, and I had to go home and think about that, you know. So I realized that God's will for me is to be in gratitude. It's that simple. You know, it's not some great big long speech about what I'm going to do with my life and how it's all going to turn out or anything like that or what kind of service work I'm going to do or whatever. It's just to be in gratitude right now, today, this moment. And um, one day at a time. And not only one day at a time, but one, you know, I heard people say sometimes it's, it's one hour at a time or one minute at a time or one second at a time. And um, it is. It's, uh, I learned that it's about being in this moment. There's, there's nothing happening. There's nothing in the past that I can do anything about. There's nothing in the future that I can change by worrying today. And if I'm, if I'm living right here, right now, in this moment, I am fully engaged and present in my own life. And, oh my gosh, how, how incredibly awesome is that? Because I, what I realized that when I'm, when I'm listening in an AA meeting, or in an AA meeting, most of the time is where I hear the voice of God. And, um, and it could be anybody, you know, it could be the person who just walked in the door the first 24 hours. Uh, they walk in the door and they say something, and that's, that is what I needed to hear right then, right there. You never know, I never know where it's going to come from. But um, I know that it comes when I am fully present in this moment, because my whole life is about this moment. And I, um, another person said to me, um, whatever's happening to me right now is happening for my own highest spiritual good. And that, that helped me a lot too because, um, I can look at any situation and it looks like a disaster to me. Anything that happened to me that I didn't plan, that I wasn't expecting, that I hadn't, you know, anticipated, and it just comes into my life, that looks like a disaster to me. But as I have experienced uh, this program, I realized that it's everything is a gift. 
Every single thing that comes to me is a gift. It's a gift for my own for my own spiritual good, for my spiritual expansion, and it's about my learning. That's having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. I have learned that I am I am beautiful. I am powerful. I am amazing. I am eternal. I am a spirit being. And everything that happens to me, I am not a victim. I came into this program thinking that everybody had been mean to me and it was everybody else's fault what I did. Then I realized that I was a participant that I chose the circumstances, I chose the relationships, I chose the substances, I chose the jobs. I was a participant in my own life. But when I really got to working the steps and I realized I'm not only a participant, I am calling everything to me that happens to me. Everything that if I get to choose, I get to say this morning, I am going to turn this day over to my higher power. And and I call my higher power pure positive energy, wanting to give and receive love, because that's what it feels like to me. And when I step into that place inside of me that is pure positive energy, wanting to give and receive love, I have everything that this physical world has to offer. Anything that comes to me aside from that, is just a toy I get to play with while I'm here, you know. <laughs> but I, I know that when I am uh, in this now moment, I can check in and find that place of peace within me that is pure positive energy, this river that runs inside of me that was always there. And... And I learned how to find my way back to it. And steps one, two, and three, I can't, God can, I think I'll let him. That's the first first step into that place of peace. I've found that the, the steps are, each one is a prayer. It's each one uh, is shifts just a little bit back to that center that is pure positive energy wanting to give and receive love. And I have learned how to visit that place as often as I possibly can because it is from that place that everything else flows. If I if I step outside of that or I feel myself going outside of that, then I I know how to get back in. Steps one, two, and three, the serenity prayer, you know, call a friend in AA. <laughs> it's all, this program has taught me so many uh, different ways of, of living a life of peace. And compared to that, uh, you know, that really, now I look back at that, uh, Crazy girl sitting in the woods with a pile of guns over there on the side, you know, and uh, drinking and driving and, and, oh my gosh, you know, that looks like chaos to me and it seems so sane at the time. But now that just seems like a, a whole different 
uh, world. It, it's like, well, what was all that, you know? But um, this is what, this is what kind of happened because of that, was uh, I made a whole lot of really bad choices. You know, uh, my, I didn't get to raise my own children. That was really a bad choice. And what happened was when uh, I, um, I thought in the back of my mind that I might end up in prison someday, you know, if I got caught doing any of the things I was doing. But um, when I found myself in prison, I was a teacher. <laughs> I mean, that was kind of like I was on the other side of the table and my students were the inmates. But I could have been there. They were, that was me sitting there on the other side of that table just as easily. And, uh, when I, when I did get into the prison and as a teacher, they asked me to teach anger management. <laughs> well, the best anger management program I know of is the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and the things I've learned in this program. And the, the attention that I have paid to other, um, um, I mean, you know, Eckhart Tolle says, be in the now. Well, that looks like one day at a time to me, you know. <laughs> and the, the uh, law of attraction, you know, it's, it looks like, you know, um, I think Oli says, you know, stop the monkeys uh, in, the, in the cage going around up there. But... Um, so I, when I when I got into this classroom with these ladies, many of them had also lost their children because of the crazy mistakes that they had made. And I had so much compassion for these women. I was able to be their advocate and tell them, you know, you are sacred, you are valuable, you have something to give, and that. They, they, I would ask them, you know, how old would your children be when you get out? And they'd say, like, five or eight. And I'd say, you know, you're really lucky because your children are still children, and they will be, and you still have a chance to be a mother. And, you know, right this wrong. And you're the only mother that those children are ever going to have. No matter who has them now, you're still their mother. And so uh, my my history, even though it was crazy and 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 uh, what it was what it was, I was able to use that to help these ladies to get on a right track. And and I was I developed a program. They told me I could have I could use my um, uh, creative. Uh, abilities in the classroom and, and do the class the way I wanted to do it. So rather than teaching anger management, I thought how to have, you know, how to find your place of peace and how to stay there. And using the principles of this program and all the other um, um, people who have talked about peace down through the ages, and I would put something up on the board to them and then speak to them about that. And um, they asked me if I would put this down in a book. And as uh, 
the, the book finally came out, Sacred Women Behind Bars. It's about these women that I absolutely fell in love with and, you know, was able to uh, touch many lives because Alcoholics Anonymous had touched my life, because the women in this program had had helped me to make it through when my when my head was spinning in a place where I couldn't I could no longer do it alone. They told me I didn't have to. I had numbers that I could call women who were there for me who would stay on the phone with me until I until I got it back together and could go on with my life. And and then <laughs> um I, then when, when that job was over, and I'm, I'm writing my book and everything, I was asked by my daughter to go to Lithuania to homeschool my granddaughters and get them ready to come back to American school. Well, while I was there, they asked me to um, run the 12-step program. So I'm thinking, okay, that's cool. I can do that, you know. So and what's going on in Lithuania right now is that they got their freedom from the Soviet Union in 1991, and they've been trying to do AA through the Internet and through, you know, but, but they just recently got um, <clears throat> the big book in Lithuanian. So they've got, you know, now they've got the steps and they've got it all going on. Well, they're kind of like got a little thing going. Some people are like I was when I first got in the program. I'm sober. Why do I need the steps, you know? <laughs> and and others are like, well, we should probably have the whole program, you know? So there's a little thing going on. Well, I got to go into Lithuania right at that time, and I was uh, teaching the 12 steps. And so I thought, well, I'm going to be here 12 weeks, you know, during your, the time where you have your thing, so let's do one step each week. And I thought that was like the accelerated program, you know. So we were, a bunch of us ladies were doing the 12 steps. Well, people kept coming in, so we had to, like, get them up to speed. You know, if they came in on step three, we had to get them one and two. So a bunch of ladies came in uh, and asked if my my interpreter and I would go to an AA Al-Anon meeting, and we spoke over there. And then I had like ten more ladies who showed up at step nine. So I said, well, you know, Bill and Bob did used to get steps one, two, three, four, and five before you could even go to a meeting. They did that in the hospital. So I don't think there's any reason why we can't do steps one through twelve in a day if you guys are ready and willing. So, and, you know, and I thought 12 weeks was accelerated. We were going to do it in a day. So 15 ladies showed up to do the 12 steps in a day. <laughs> and But we did it. From 9 o'clock in the morning till 4 o'clock in the afternoon, we sat there and we worked the steps. And that was probably my, uh, my most incredible 12-step experience because I got to see how powerful this program really is. I mean, the, some of them were working the steps. They had been sober for a while, so it was, they were working their steps on their life. You know, anger, uh, depression, fear. You know, what do you want to work the steps on, you know? And so let's work it on what you got going on right now. And at the end of the day, they would, some of them said, you know, I, I've let go of that fear. I've let go of that anger. And I was 
um, so amazed at how incredible and powerful the 12-step program was for these ladies. And, and those ladies now can all go out and be sponsors and help other people work, work the steps in Lithuania. And this is, has absolutely blown me away. I was like, you know, I felt like a 12-step rock star, you know. <laughs> but, but I, I am really honored that, uh, that you asked me to come and, and, uh, uh, tell my story tonight. And, um, is my time up? Okay. Okay. Well, I'm done then. <laughs>